you can uh, you can listen to those. So let's open with a word of prayer. Father, uh, thank you again for our time, God. And uh, as we as we uh, wind down this series right here, Lord, there's there really has been so many just uh, amazing things to take away. But it all it all culminates in that truth of of David's life, um, God, in his heart, and that he he truly did want to live a life that that brought glory to you, God. And so as as we uh, as we come to a close, as his life um, ends here on earth. Uh, in our stories here, God, I, I pray that we, uh, again, can just can just kind of reflect back on his life and, and have some takeaways for our own. Because um, the truth is, you know, we're all, we're all, and then there's things about us that are the same, but you do have a plan and a journey for each one of us. There's, there's people that you're bringing into our life for us to reach and to, to uh, shine the light of Jesus for and, and God. So we've, we've each been called uh, to this mission uh, that we're on. And so, uh, God, thank you um, for sending Jesus and um, his sacrifice for us and everything that he did. And we just ask all this in his holy name. Amen. Um, even though we're landing the plane on David today, this isn't the end. I mean, David was a very significant figure, obviously, for Israel. So we continue to hear his name uh, brought up several times uh, going forward and in the New Testament and everything else. So just to kind of recap, uh, week one, we talked about David being a man after God's own heart. That's what the Bible calls him. Uh, we, we definitely saw a difference between Saul and David and how they approached God. And then we moved on to a heart of revival. Uh, he had big prayers. He had God given him big vision for things to come. And he, he lived that way. He lived expecting God to do big things. And we talked about, hey, we need to be praying boldly uh, about that. And then we, we saw a heart of a leader, how how David uh, raised up other leaders. You know, he wasn't a one-man show. He knew it. And so he, he got quality people around him, and he raised them up, and he coached up new leaders and, and, uh, and really had some organizational things going on there uh, that were really good. Then week four, we talked about, uh, you know, David's broken heart and sin and, and what, what happened, and we got to, you know, see all that uh, play out. And, and we're going to get back to that again today. Uh, as, as, we, as we finish up. But then and last week, um, a heart of worship. And we saw how uh, David just shared through the Psalms. And, and you know, we talked about the Psalms and how it's this incredible book uh, that really just ushers us into worship and kind of tells the story of Israel. And, and really God, uh, it tells the story of God and God's people. And, and so, uh, and uh, the singing thing was a one-time deal. So if you missed it, sorry, um, just kidding. You know, it's funny, I, like, like, I don't know, the pause for me lasted about, you know, seven hours as I finished up the scriptures last week, and like, there was this moment, and God's like, are you going to obey me or not? <laughs> like, because he had just pressed into my heart to share that little song with you guys, and uh, I promise you, I can actually sing a little bit, um, but when you're nervous and shaking, it reminded me of when I first preached for the first time, and the preacher guy was like, you need to sit down, dude. Like, just stop. <laughs> you, you can try again tomorrow. And I probably should have done that, but uh, but anyway, it was just uh, man, just God just laid that on my heart, and and uh, thank you guys for, when I see that in y'all too. I, I, it's always encouraging to me when we're challenged, when we're moved out of our comfort zone, and we you know we all face that moment. You know, are we gonna be obedient or not? You know, and uh, I'm with JD. This is definitely not my gift, right? And so uh, he's sharing that, <laughs> not not gonna happen often. Anyway, not gonna say never because then God will make me do it next Sunday too. So, but I love you. Thanks for enduring that with me. 
Um, you know, David, one of the unique things about David is I hope, I hope you've been able to connect with him. I know you're not the king of Israel. Um, but, I mean, goodness gracious, I mean, just look at his life, right? Uh, I believe most of us, if not all of us, have, have felt the call of God and we've responded to it. And so we, you know, we have this desire in us for him. And, and of course, you know, through, through the salvation process, we get the gift of the Holy Spirit. So we literally have God inside of us helping us and working through things for us and, and all of that. And so, we, so even though the flesh is against God, the Spirit is for God. And so now that we have the Holy Spirit, we have this longing for the things of God, I hope. And, and I just want to say this. I know this is a really uh, tough thing to hear sometimes. But if you find yourself uh, not longing for the things of God, man, I hope that raises some really big red flags for you. Because I don't even see how that's possible. You know, again, I'm not talking about like we go through little desert time struggles. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, hey, I don't long for the things of God. I don't have guilt over my sin. I don't, ugh. Man, that's a scary place right there, all right? So if, that, if that's where you happen to find yourself at today, man, come talk to me, seriously. Uh, like, let's talk through some of this stuff uh, because we've been given this incredible gift. And, you know, the Bible said, we read it last week, deep cries out to deep. Well, I promise you the Holy Spirit <laughs> understands the depths of God. And if we have that gift inside of us, which I believe we do because the Bible tells us we do, then there goodness gracious, there ought to be some transformation. There ought to be some longing for the things of God going on. There ought to be guilt if sin arises, and it will arise. We're going to talk about that today, right? Like all that ought to be in there. And if you're not, if there's no evidence of that going on, let's talk. There's eternal things at, at, at stake here. So uh, let's talk through some of that. So don't, don't, uh, don't walk away from that. Um, but anyway, I hope you connect to David's story because he, he did some great things. He fell to sin, right? Um, and I, we all can own that. We're going to read that because if we don't own to that, we're liars um, because we all are sinful. And, uh, uh, and, and then, you know, he, he repents and, and God does some things to him. But there's consequences, right? And again, I'm sure we've all experienced that, uh, those consequences. And so I hope, I hope you've been able to connect to, to his story because it's, it's really the human story, right? And again, I know we can, there's some extravagant stuff in David's story because of who he was, and we're not called to be David. Um, but I hope you can connect to, to what's been going on in his life. So today we're going to really just land the plane on his life and how his life concludes. Um, and so we got to dig back into, we're not going to rehash out the Bathsheba thing, but we're going to talk about the consequences of that. And, and I, hope, I hope a desire for you is to finish well, Okay. No one here knows how much time we got, right? Um, any, any time, you know, uh, it can just happen in the blink of an eye. We all know that. We've all uh, experienced that with other people at some point. Uh, it can just happen quick, man, you know? And so, but I hope our desire is to live well and to finish well. And it's why the Bible sets this precedence of living in the now, the present, and, and living for God today, because you don't know if you got tomorrow. And so, you know, don't put off tomorrow uh, what you can do today. So we're, we're supposed to be very active and present in this moment because this may be our last moment, right? Uh, it, it, I, I know I, I just got to get this off my chest. I was riding my lawnmower, and I had one of those ugly cries, man. I almost wrecked um, into a tree, which would have probably ended my life quickly. Um, and uh, over the, t the Texas shooting, 
And, you know, and I know we've lived through a lot of school shootings, and, of course, they always move. They, I mean, oh, my goodness, you can't be human if they don't move your heart. But I don't know what it was with that one. Um, maybe it was because we've been reading the Psalms, and i got to tell you, I got ugly cried, and then I got angry. And I, I, I just, like we were talking about lamenting last week, what it means to lament, just be honest about the situation. And I just was crying out to God about evil people and just God, like, if you want me to resign from missionary and become a mercenary against evil people, just, just give, me the, give me the green light, man. I'm going because no one should have to live through that, those kinds of tragedies. But that's the reality. And it could happen to us today, right? I know we got Tommy out there and I'm thankful for him. But man, come on. You know, if somebody wanted to get in here and, and do what they did, they could. That could just happen. And that's just the truth, because there is evil out there. There are people who are just, just neck deep in it, and they don't care. And they are against God with their whole body and soul and everything else. And this could be the last moment we got, right? And, and even though I don't want you to stay there and like lit, but at the same time, it's like, hey, that's, that's the reality that we kind of need to work out of. And I hope it creates a little bit of an urgency in you to be bold in your faith. To live a life well and leave behind a legacy. That's what this is all about. For God's glory, not yours. For His glory. And, and we're going to see that right here with David as, as he ends well. And he didn't just quit. He bounces back. He, he does some pretty cool things, some pretty great things. Um, you know, I think back to the Braves last season, right? And they finished well. You know, the season started off pretty horrible, uh, like it is currently. And I know we're all like, oh, are they going to turn Right, they're from. It's just part of life for us, right? Our teams don't end well usually. Falcons, everybody just got angry, right? Um, they didn't end well, and you know, and it's just a plague sometimes. It feels like in the state, <laughs> and I didn't bring up UGA's little victory because I'm a Georgia Tech fan. Um, so, anyway, I hope. Just kidding. Um, I hope that you have a heart to finish well. All right. 2 Timothy uh, 4, 6 through 8 uh, says, For I am already, Paul's saying this, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So, we're going to jump back into this, a little bit of the tail end of this scandal uh, with David and uh, kind of the aftermath and what happened. So we're going, to, we're going to start with 2 Samuel 12. Today we're going to read a couple of highlights from, from that chap chapter, 2 Samuel chapter 12, uh, starting in verse 10. Um, so again, this is, this is after everything has happened. He says, Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house. Because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. For you did it discreetly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord has also put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because, my, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. Then Nathan went to his house. Could you imagine for a minute your darkest secrets, your journals, your diaries just being opened up to the entire world? 
Because that's what happened to David. I just want you to think about the ugliest sin you've ever committed when no one was looking or, or whatever, and that's just completely exposed to the world. That's what's going on. And instead of David cowering back, he owns it because, because his heart is right. And again, I know he failed. He's a human being and he failed. But he wants to get it, so he confesses and he, and he gives it to God. And, and so he, even though this has been prophesied, he, he continues to pray and fast and mourn for his child. And he's just crying out to God. And, uh, you know, when, when Nathan confronted him about the little story about the sheep, you know, what was David's judgment? He deserves to die, right? And, and in their law, David also deserved to die for what he did, by the way. And he didn't, interesting enough, because God showed him grace. And we all know that sin doesn't just impact the sinner, right? There's ramifications of what have happened. And we're seeing that. We're seeing some of that. And so waves of family drama uh, come out of this. But, we, we, but in sin, you know, it's one of those things, again, uh, it's such a tricky topic because it's, on one hand, we're all sinners, and it's easy to just throw your hands up, right? And Paul says, but no, like just because there's grace doesn't mean we need to keep on sinning, right? And so we don't succumb to it. We don't, oh, well, I'm a sinner, so I'm just going to go keep sinning, right? That's not the heart of God. That's not the heart of God. But the truth is we sin even after we're saved. We've sinned, right? Everybody in here could go around and tell their stories. We've sinned. We've fallen. And I hope in maturity we grow out of some of the childish stuff and we move on. But they're still intern, right? That's what happens as you begin to discrubble, discrubble. Wow, that was a good one. Discover who you are, right? Discover as God begins to reveal to you, right? Because when it started off before, it was like, hey, God, I, you know, I've been in youth ministry a long time. Help me not to cuss. You know, that's, that's what teenagers, that's their default. Every time you say, hey, what are you struggling with? I cuss. That's a, a, 90% of the answers I ever got, I cuss. Like, that's what they say, you know, and like, help me not to cuss. But then as you get older and you mature, man, you realize the root of some things. And you start having to pray things like, God, help me to die to my pride, my lust, my greed. And you begin, it, it's not the details out here, it's way back here in the heart, and there's something in there, man. And you realize that, and you begin to confess that and start dealing with the root of the issue instead of the, instead of the outward issue that's going on. And so there's some truth that gets revealed in sin because if we give it to God, he gets glory. And, and you know, we've read Psalm 51 several times, but David talks about how we, we, were, we were conceived in sin. We're conceived in sin from the start. And so his baby ends up passing away, and he was mourning and fasting. And, and uh, we're going to touch base. I've read this verse. We're going to touch it again um, because some people were like really kind of judging David. Um, when the baby passes away, he just kind of flips the switch. And in 2 Samuel 12, 22 and 23, he said, While the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, Who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live? But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. And we see right here this incredible moment where God gives grace to the baby, Right? We talk about this in the church world as the age of accountability. Uh, that, that phrase is nowhere in Scripture, but we absolutely see evidence of that all throughout Scripture. That there's this moment, and I think you all know what I'm talking about, where you become very aware of what you've done wrong. I remember mine. Uh, 
I'm going to give you two. I, I said the S word. This is being recorded. Oh, I shouldn't have said that. I said the S word out here somewhere by the woods. And uh, I don't know if one of my siblings told on me or if my mom had the windows open. She always had the windows open. We didn't have air conditioning, so the attic fan would be running sometimes. But I think she heard me. The next thing I knew, I had a bar of ivory soap in my mouth. And i got to be honest with you. I was very unaware of what just happened. I knew I shouldn't have said the word, but I honestly did not understand it as sin. But I remember the first time I stole money from my parents. I'll never forget the shame. The people... I'm going to get emotional, man. The people who bent over backwards trying to raise six kids, worked multiple jobs, you know, and of course I have my teenage version of, oh, you know, whatever I, I perceived it as. But they worked hard to provide for us. And they used to, my mom and dad budgeted, and so they used to have these little envelopes. And I remember the first time I snuck into their room and took money out of one of those envelopes. Money that was for us. It didn't even make sense. I stole money for myself from my parents. That's weird, but I did it, and I remember the shame, man. And like that's when I really began to understand sin and separation from God and guilt. And we all have that moment, and it, it's like just this, this light bulb goes off for the first time. Because, man, I mean, I have a 10- and 5-year-old, and they've messed up a ton. But I got to tell you, I mean, even Kay, you know, we've been looking through that. Like, he doesn't fully comprehend it yet. We can see it, you know, but there will come a day where he does. There will come a day, right? And so we see God give grace to this infant. So the Bible talks about there being two Adams, right? We have first Adam, Adam and Eve guy, and he gave us sin and hell, right? Because he messed up, they messed up, and, and all the consequences of that. And then the second Adam is referenced as Jesus, and in his sacrifice and death, he ushers in life and forgiveness for us. Yeah, praise, praise God. And so Jesus' payment, though, for sin isn't applied to us, until we accept him, right? Until we accept him. That's when the payment is applied. He died for everyone, right? But there's some people that reject Jesus. And, even, and so his death was in vain for them because they're not accepting who he was. And so the payment isn't applied until we accept him. And then Adam's guilt from sin isn't applied to us until we consciously embrace sin. And I believe God's grace is upon children and the innocent with all of my heart. I believe that. It's biblical. It's backed up. It says in there. And, and so that's why we talk about the age of accountability and, and kind of come into that understanding. And it's different. It happens at different ages and, and, and those kinds of things. And, and so uh, um, I, this baby, David's baby, is in heaven with God. I believe that. And David knows it. And he's like, I shall go to him one day. 2 Samuel 12, 24 and 25. And here's God's blessing. Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba. And he went into her and lay with her. And she bore a son. And he called his name Solomon. And the Lord loved him and sent a message by Nathan the prophet. So he called his name Jedidiah because of the Lord. And Jedidiah means loved of the Lord. And so this scandal that would erect most couples, man, come on. Whew. Man, God, God takes this moment because of surrendered hearts, and he ends up blessing them. Now, of course, everything wasn't hunky-dory. Man, what a family mess that they find themselves in. But eventually, David's reign uh, gets back to a pretty healthy place, 
and Israel gets to doing well. And so how does David live out the rest of his life? Well, he buys an island, and he sets up this hammock, and he just listens to the waves lapping up on the white, sandy seashores. And he has servants coming by fanning him and giving him grapes, man, you know, and it's just awesome because he's the king and he has all the money and he can do whatever he wants. And he's got this private plane. They didn't know planes had been invented, but he bought one. And uh, he's flying it around when he wants and just living in the air condition. They don't have that yet either, but he found some because um, he's David and he can do it. No, that's not what he did. And, uh, it, you know, he didn't sit there and lavish kids with all their, his wealth and time. And, and uh, he didn't sit and watch sports all the time or fish or hike or, or travel or whatever our dreams for retirement are. The truth is, David didn't do that. He didn't do that. And we're going to talk about the four ways David finished strong, finished well. Um, the first one is this. We have to respond well against the sin in our life. We're sinners, <laughs> and we have to respond well to that. As a believer, I know we don't want to sin, yet we all find ourselves falling from time to time. Okay, we fall, right? So if you don't know Jesus today, if, if that's the boat you're in, uh, Acts 3.19, uh, we have to believe on who Jesus is, but Peter says uh, in Acts 3.19, repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. So you need to repent. That's a word we don't, like it's almost like a one-time deal, right? And, and so that's where it starts, man. We got to repent because we see our sin and we acknowledge it in the shame and guilt. And we got we to turn back to God and seek him. That's what we have to do. We have to seek Him. We have to long for God and die to ourselves. Is, is the reference the New Testament uses a lot. But if you're a believer that has, uh, has struggled, uh, you're not going to believe. It's the same thing, right? So we, we've accepted Jesus and we're a part of the kingdom, but our flesh is still there and there's this fight going on inside of us. And, and uh, man, we need to be on our knees as much as possible fighting this battle Praying, praying that God helps us through it and surrendering and all those things. But man, when we do fall, we just got to own it, man, and repent and stop trying to hide that we didn't fall. Because God's going to use those kinds of things if we'll let Him. Instead of pretending to be something we're not, 1 John uh, chapter 1, 5-10 says it like this. This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaimed to you that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. Cleanses us. The blood of Jesus is cleansing us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His Word is not in us. We have to receive God's grace and restore relationship. we got to allow Him to restore relationship. And that, that starts with a repentant heart. I don't care how long you've been saved. That's where it starts every time. When we break what He has for us, man, I hope there's some guilt in there. I, I hope there's some kind of tugging that's, that's 
causing you to, to, to want to surrender and turn back to God. We got to own it. We got to own it. You know, um, David, David didn't just commit um, adultery. I, you know, he, he had a pride issue. He had that big census taken and he wanted to see how big and bad his army was and another prophet called him out. But again, we see the same response. Immediately he confesses, I've sinned against God. It cost him, but God used it. God used it. So we have to respond well against the sin in our life. The next one, uh, man, we're just going to stop and pray right here because this is a tough moment. Um, and uh, I, I just, I'm not sitting on a judgment seat. I'm not sitting on somebody who's got it all together. Um, and, uh, but I want to address something here. And if God's speaking to you, man, again, please, please receive it the way he wants, wants you to receive it. Um, if I mess that up, I apologize. But uh, there, there's something to this, and I, and I just want us to see it in here. So God, uh, thank you for this story. These stories in here, some of them are really tough to read, but there's, there's truth God, that we need to take away from it, Lord. And, and I pray uh, for all of us in this. God, I think all of us have some tendency of this. And uh, God, because, because sometimes following you, uh, a lot of times following you, uh, isn't easy, God. And, and the amazing, awesome thing is you give us your spirit to help us. But, oh, Lord, our pride gets in the way, and we try to do your job. And that burden is, is, was never meant to be carried God, so help us to, to surrender. God, help us to, to lean in to your word for truth, God, and to allow the body of Christ to, to, for us to walk this out together, God, because we are the family of God. Um, and, and God, help us to be that in all of these things. In Jesus' name, amen. So the next thing is to avoid passivity. Okay, what? That sounds weird. Um, avoid passivity. Uh, David kind of goes into, I don't know if you've ever done this. I've heard people say it. Well, I'm not going to do that to my kids because my parents did that to me. <laughs> I've said that, I think. Um, and, and, and so because of how maybe we were treated or how we were raised, sometimes it, uh, not sometimes, a lot of times it impacts how we raise and, and manage our own children, right? Both good and bad, right? It comes out. And uh, there's things that we didn't agree with our parents on that, that maybe we don't, we're never going to do in my household, you know, because my parents shouldn't have done that. And then there's things maybe you wanted, and, and now you get to be the parent, so you get to make the rules. And, and so I just, I just want to draw attention to this. There's, David has these two sons, and I want you to see this, man. Do not miss it, okay? This is big-time stuff. Um, Absalom, we're not going to dig greatly into his story, uh, but David was very passive with Absalom and, uh, you know, permissive. Like, he, he even, like, just... He was unengaged as a parent. First uh, Kings 1, uh, well, that's going to be the, the other brother. I, I, like Absalom, man, if, if, you've, if you've been reading along with us, you've been catching his story, man. He, he did some horrific things. I mean, horrible things, man. He ultimately tries to overthrow, kill David. He, there's rape in there and, and goes after David's wives. And uh, just, whew, there's a lot of stuff. And even at the end, David is defending him when Absalom's going to be killed for his treachery. David's still pleading, you know. Um, and he just, Absalom, you know, I've called him Fabio, right? That talks about how good looking he was and all this stuff. And, and just the man, you know. And David just let it go. 
And I, and I think a lot of it probably poured out of his own sin and, and like, you just, oh, you know, I have this boy and, and we lost a child and I got this son and I'm just going to lavish him with everything. And so you got this spoiled rich brat running around that gets his way all the time and do not miss what he became. And then the brother as well, Adonijah sets himself up as king in 1 Kings 1, 5-6. So Absalom has already tried to overthrow David, and now Adonijah does. Now Adonijah, the son of Haggith. I'm so glad. Haggith. It's a great word, name. <laughs> Haggith. Oh. Exalted himself, saying, I will be king. And man, he went about it the right way. And he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. His father had never at any time... Don't miss it. His father had never at any time displeased him by asking him, why have you done this and, and thus and so? And he was very handsome. And he was born next after Absalom. You catch it? He did not discipline him. He let him go. Sure, it's okay. Look what these two boys become. They both try to kill their father and, and, and do terrible things. And I got to tell you, the biblical message that I, that I pull away is it, it doesn't end well for our children and it doesn't end well for parents if we are passive parents. It doesn't end well. And we have to avoid passivity and we can't let the guilt of our past, right? We're we're supposed to learn from the past, but not let the past hold us back. We can't let the guilt of our past allow that to come up in our life because there are going to be dire consequences. 1 Kings 1-7, through this is, this is uh, Adonijah. It says, he conferred with Joab, right, the, the lead dude for the military and the son of Zariah, and with Abathar, the priest, and they followed and they followed Adonijah and helped him. He got help, man. He recruited. He was going to overthrow. If you jump down to verse 15. So here we see the non-passive parent, the parent who is engaged, the parent who jumps up to the plate, and it's Bathsheba. And, and Nathan's involved in this, and it says in verse 15, So Bathsheba went to the king in his chamber. Now the king was very old, and Abishag, the Shuman, Shun, Shunammite, was attending to the king, and Bathsheba bowed and paid homage to the king. And the king said, What do you desire? And she said to him, My lord, you swore to your servant by the Lord your God, saying, Solomon your son shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne. And now behold, Adonijah is king, although you, my lord, do not know. He didn't even know. He didn't even know this was going on. All right? He just kind of, Oh, it's Adonijah. He didn't even know what was happening. And it took Nathan and Bathsheba down in verse 20. It says, And now, my Lord, the king, the eyes of all Israel are on you to tell them who shall sit on the throne of my Lord, the king, after him. He snaps out of his passivity. He jumps up and engages. And that's what we see, right? It's not that David was perfect. It's that when David missed it and messed up, he owned the moment and responded. Okay? That's what we see. In, in, in verse 32, let's just jump on down. Um, it says, King David said, Call to me Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Benaniah the son of Jehodiah. 
So they came before the king, and the king said to them, Take with you the servants of your Lord, and have Solomon my son ride on my own mule, and bring him down to Gihon, and let Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet there anoint him king over Israel. Then blow the trumpet and say, Long live King Solomon! You shall then come up after him, and he shall come and sit on my throne, for he shall be king in my place. And I have appointed him to be ruler over all Israel and over Judah. And Benaniah, the son of Jehodiah, answered the king, Amen! Right, he must be from Georgia. May the Lord, the God of my Lord, the king, say so. As the Lord has been with my Lord, the king, even so may he be with Solomon and make his throne greater than the throne of my Lord, King David. Mm. He got up and did something about it. He got active. I do believe passivity is, is this huge... Uh, scourge on our culture and it almost goes unnoticed and we keep trying to deal with the the symptoms out here and we're seeing all these things unravel and and chaos is ensuing and i really think if you draw back to the root you're talking about you're gonna find a lot of passive adults who aren't doing anything about it that's what you're gonna find people who aren't following god who aren't walking the road who are given a lot of lip service and who aren't following it up I know it's not easy, but the cost. And I'm a man, and so I tend to pick on us, and I do, I do believe men ha- have a little bit greater tendency, and I know it's not exclusive to men, uh, to be passive. And it's encouraged in our culture, man. It just is. And it's why, you know, one of the things God convicted me on a few years ago is stopping and praying before I walk in my house that he'll give me the energy to be a husband and a parent because most days I don't feel like it. Right? I love my recliner, man. You know? Oh, and a good sandwich and a cold drink is awesome. Just hey, everybody wait on me. Who doesn't love that? Men, that's not what we're called to be. No way. We're called to be leaders in our home, to set the example, um, to edify and love our wife, to die for our wives. That's what it says in there. Die to yourself when it comes to your wife. And we got to live a life of not just telling our kids, but showing our kids, man, uh, what this looks like. And I just want to say the opposite of being uh, a passive isn't this aggressive cockiness, arrogance thing either. It's not that. Uh, It's being proactive and engaged and caring and taking initiative like Bathsheba did. She took initiative. She didn't just let it happen. And she did something about it. And David responded. I love you. I'm just going to say this as a side note. Parenting is insanely difficult, right? And you may be like, oh, I got it. Well, good. Come, come coach me. I, there's plenty of men in this room that I have asked for help because I know I'm not in it alone, all right? And I need help. There's not some book written to, hey, the how-tos. And, and uh, man, I, I value that. Don't be so prideful that you don't need help. We do need help, Okay. And it starts with prayer and the, the word of God, and I know that, and, and surrender to that. But do not be afraid or prideful, so prideful that you can't reach out if, if there's chaos in your home and you need some help, okay? Don't. Cry out, reach out, like let someone know, talk to someone. Get some help. Because everything we do, and I know, I, you can tell me stories, I, I always share this story. I had a kid in my youth group at Whitesburg, 
and he grew up in a horrible home. I mean, awful. Parents stealing from him. I, you know, I've shared a little bit of that. Um, and he preaches now. See, you don't have to be. You don't have to be a good parent. <laughs> Come on, that's the exception to the rule, right? That's the exception to the rule. Man, God, God institutes some things and he gives us all these examples and he forms this body of believers and we all have different gifts and, and uh, I, like I wasn't good at changing diapers, so I let Shay do all that, you know? Like she's so gifted at it. Um, I said, baby, you just use that gift. Uh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but we need help. We need help. We need each other. to. That's why God gave us each other to walk this out arm in arm, hand in hand. Don't be so prideful. Your kids' legacy depends on it. What you're pouring into them or not pouring into them is going to play out in their future. It just is. Promote a vision of God's glory. You know, we got the slogan, make America great again. But I hope our slogan is make God great, right? It's the reason we're here, bringing glory. David wanted to build the temple. God said, no, right? You got too much blood on your hands, but I'm going to let your son do it. So David said, okay, yeah, that sounds great. I'll just let him worry about it. No, David stayed active. You know what he did? He went out and like bought all the supplies. He, he secured the land. He raised up leaders with this vision of what the temple was going to be, even though he knew he wasn't going to get to build it. He did not just sit idly by. He helped. And he promoted this vision of God's glory to his son. Uh, you can read through that in uh, 1 Chronicles 28. But how are we leading our families, your friends, your coworkers, towards that vision of God's glory? Or are we at all? You know, if, if, if we weren't telling people, you know, I, I think about like the people I tell I love, you know, hey, I love you. Like, would they know that if I didn't say it? Right. And so that's kind of the test. Like, am I am I pointing people to God's glory? I, I got this uh, a friend of mine had a quote and it, and it says, how are your habits revealing God? You know, how are the things I'm doing showing my family that I'm here to give God glory? How are the things I'm doing are showing my friends and coworkers and, and all this stuff? And, uh, man, we need to do that. We need, we need to not only promote it verbally, but we have to demonstrate that vision. Um, and then the last one uh, that we're, we're going to land on is prepare others for success. And isn't that the real test, right? The real test is, is who we leave behind. What legacy we pass on. Now, look, I, can't, I know you can't control every single person, and everybody's going to come to the day where they got to choose right? But I dare say if you follow the Lord, your chances are a lot higher that your family legacy is going to be one of faith than if you passively sit by and just let whatever happens, happens while you sit in a closet and pray. Of course, I have no problem with that because the Bible says go to a closet and pray. But that's not all it says, right? That's not all it says. There's more to it than that. It starts with prayer, but we have to pour into those we are raising up as leaders, not just at home, but in our church. And David raised up Solomon. He wasn't his firstborn, so that's not even culturally correct. He was a child of Bathsheba, who uh, we know that sto whole story, and, and, and he ends up building the temple and doing this great thing. You're going to see more people in the pulpit this year, uh, different faces, because this isn't a one-man show. And it doesn't ever need to be. And whatever you're doing here in this church, you need to be investing in the next person to help, help raise up the next generation to do something. That's what we're called to do. 
And we need to pass it along. And we definitely need to be doing that in our families. First Chronicles 28, 9 through 10. This is going to be our, kind of our closing little chapter right here. It's David's charge to Solomon. This is so good. And you, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father and serve him with all your heart and with a willing mind for the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. You cannot hide from God. If it's not the real deal, God knows. You can pretend to, you can probably trick us. I'm not that smart. You can definitely trick me, right? But you're not going to fool God. He knows. If you seek him, see, seek him, he will be found by you. It's a promise. It's a promise. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. Be careful now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. Right? He gives this charge to him. And then he gives him the plan. And then we jump down to verse 20. And it says, Then David said to Solomon his son, Be strong and courageous and do it. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. For the Lord, the Lord God, even my God, is with you. He will not leave you or forsake you until all the work of the service of the house of the Lord is finished. Man, that's what every parent and every coach and every leader needs to be saying and doing, man. We need to be putting this charge on the next generation and it's going to work if we've been demonstrating it, if we've been living it, and it's not just lip service. The final instructions, 1 Kings 2, 1 through 4, and this is how we're going to end. When David's time drew near, he commanded Solomon his son, saying, I am about to go the way of all the earth. Be strong and show yourself a man and keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and keeping his statutes. His commandments, His rules, and His testimonies as it is written in the law of Moses that you may prosper in all that you do wherever you turn, that the Lord may establish His word that He spoke concerning me, saying, if your son pay close attention to their way to walk before me in faithfulness with all their heart and with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. Mm. That's a great closing speech. Brothers and sisters, finish well. Let's pray. God, thank you for this story. Thank you for, again, for the examples we see, God. And I, and I know every detail uh, doesn't always carry over, but the, the human part of this does. God, our interaction with you does. Uh, the, the, the things you're trying to teach us, they absolutely translate into our life today. God, you, you've called us to finish well, to run a race. God, to live uh, after you, to repent to seek you first in all things. God, to not be passive, to be active in our faith and living this thing out, to, to leave a legacy behind. God, to lead well, to raise up the next generation, God. And I, I help us to do that, God. Um, Lord, we, we know we are, all, we are all leading in some capacity, God. I, I know we wouldn't put that label on everything that we do, but we, we really are. God, there's people who look up to us. There's people around us who need lead, who need help. God, and I pray that we pick up that banner um, under your authority under, and through with your spirit, God, and we run with it to your glory, God, not our own. Um, Father, help us just to walk and live in that place this morning, Lord. Thank you for this story, and thank you for all that you've done in, uh, in the lives of your people, in our lives. God, and to help us to, to live this out worthy of the calling that Jesus has given. And we ask us all this in Jesus Christ's holy name. Amen.